We are proud members of the Spy Podcast Network. Find out more at www.spypodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list. But remember this information it is strictly for your ears only. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Ken the Provocateur. And Scott, did you drop your transmission? Uh, I, well, I dropped a, a diaper full of something. Mmm. Mm. I, I I have a lot to say about this film, but I think before we uh, tackle potentially the final entry in this saga of films we've been tackling, we should introduce our guest. Coming back somehow to talk about this film, Miles from the Disc Dump Podcast. Miles, what the hell are you doing here? You know, I thought we were friends, and then you guys made me watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm not so sure. <laughs> And we always promise people, because you were on for Central Intelligence, which fine. was okay. Like, it was a fine enough movie. But we always kind of promise people that after they do something like that or worse, that next time you get to come back for something great. And I think we <laughs> delivered on our promise, Miles, big time. Did we ever? <laughs> so I kind of want to dive into the film and ask Miles a few questions about this. But Cam, what are we talking about? We are talking about 2011's Spy Kids, all the time in the world in 4D. <laughs> Cue the Louis Armstrong music. Away we go. That's right. Um, well, I think before we uh, look at the, the fourth, potentially final Spy Kids film, Miles, I'm curious, do you love Spy Kids? When I was a kid, I did. We saw the first two in the theater. It was pretty dope. And then the third one was in 3D. And uh, we couldn't figure out how to get our TV to set just right with the, the red and the blue glasses. So that was a nightmare. And I watched that once on like a box TV. So that's how long ago it was since I last touched base with this series until today. Now, at the time, did you consider, say, like Spy Kids 1 or 2 to be one of your go-tos? Or was it just something you watched as a kid like once or twice and didn't really give it that much thought? Oh, we had them on VHS. They were on a rotation for sure. Loved those movies mm -hmm. when I was a kid. Same as me. Same as me. Well, just to contextualize, how old were you around the time the first few came out? Uh, I assume you guys have been covering them. What year did the first one come out? 2001. 2001. So I would have been 10. Okay. Okay. Now, perfect. Perfect timing. Yeah. And on your show, The Disc Dump podcast you look at old discs and determine whether you should keep them or dump them mm -hmm. have you ever covered a spy kids movie on there i have not because i didn't uh, didn't make the jump to dvd from those vhs tapes wow but would i keep them i don't know i'd need to revisit okay well from the best of your memory if we go through one through three would you keep them or dump them you can go through individually every now and then i'm going about my life just making my way through this universe, 
blowing with the wind and i say to myself floop is a madman help us save us and it comes out of nowhere so that just gets stuck in my head sometimes <laughs> <laughs> and like the bad guys that are all thumbs i enjoyed them too so i mean i guess the first one and probably the second one would have made it but that third one was hot garbage so yeah and i spent 4.99 to rent this one today and uh we'll see if i would dump it or not by the end of this episode to be fair your opinion has kind of melded with ours a little bit we the first one made the knock list despite cam's protestations <laughs> uh, the second one was just okay had some interesting bits steve Buscemi is there for some strange reason um then the third one is uh, i think did the third one get disavowed cam uh yes it did scott yes the third one got disavowed it was that bad <laughs> so We've really like gone from different extremes with the Spy Kids film, so I really would like to know where number four sits. Now, for those who have never seen Spy Kids 4 all the time in the world, here is your letterbox.com synopsis. Spy Kids, all the time in the world. Eight years after the third film, the OSS has become the world's top spy agency, while the Spy Kids department has since become defunct. A retired spy, Marissa, is thrown back into the action along with stepchildren when a maniacal timekeeper attempts to take over the world. In order to save the world, Rebecca and Cecil must team up with their hated stepmother. Carmen and Junie have since also grown up and will provide gadgets to them. Okay. Throw <laughs> <laughs> a postscript on that. Can someone explain that to me? What was that nonsense? I, I usually... I read them before, but this one I just sort of went in fresh. Uh, that's a load of nonsense. It doesn't even like set up who they are. So if you've never watched Spy Kids before, it just says Carmen and Junie have done this. And you're like, who the hell are Carmen and Junie? But also it says like, mo you know, their hated stepmother. Cecil didn't hate her at all. He liked her. So it, it's only really the, uh, you know, Rebecca that doesn't get along with the stepmom. So uh, yeah, I'm going to have to call this whole um, synopsis into question. Not, not this film's finest moment, but... Uh... Those moments might be few and far between. Now, I didn't see this one. This is the first one I never saw. Uh, one, two, and three fell. I was slightly older than Miles, but I was still kind of into the Spy Kids um, as a teenager. But Spy Kids, for I think by that point, I was, what, 2011? I was in my mid-20s and it just wasn't cool. Well, you were where I was with the originals. Right? Like, right. I was in my 20s when Spy Kids 1 came out. I was, I guess, 20 years old. So, like, it didn't appeal to me that much. So, finally, when the fourth one rolled around, you were in the exact same spot in life I was at. <laughs> and I, I probably felt the same way you did when I was sat there watching it today, just wondering what happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, where did I go wrong? What What wrong left turn did I make? How did I wind up here? In this life. I ended up watching Spy Kids 4 twice, you know? <laughs> well. I, it says all the time in the world. I feel like I've lost a lot of time. Yeah, well. There there are definitely a lot of lessons about spending your time in the right ways. And I'm just sitting there trying not to cry, thinking about how my time is being spent on this, this earth. as just the eternal time clock is rolling forward. And I'm watching Jessica Alba get spit up on for the seventh time. <laughs> and, and some guy called TikTok just like dancing at me yep there's a point where someone says time is the enemy of youth and i just broke down crying yeah <laughs> <laughs> what have i done 
I guess um I, I guess Cam you didn't see it in the theaters? Not a chance in hell. I remember actually um <laughs> I remember being actually surprised when it came out because it was such a delayed sequel that it it felt like kind of a huh? Another one of those? Like and it came out with very little hype or anything. It felt like kind of a weird movie for Rodriguez to be making at the time. So, yeah, I just kind of shrugged and moved on with my life, and uh, that was about it. And also, it didn't have the spy kids that we know, Carmen and Juni, in the marketing. It wasn't; they weren't anywhere to be seen. It was, you know, the, this new family. So I thought, well, I don't really want to see a reboot. So I never went to see it. It gave off like Home Alone three vibes, where. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, it's a new kid, but Home Alone 3, why why the heck would I ever watch this? That's kind of the vibe this, this gave off in terms of its marketing. Well, I, I guess, Miles, you had never seen it or cared to see it? I didn't know it existed until you told me we were doing it, and I was like, all right, <laughs> let's give it a shot. How many years passed between three and four? Uh, eight years. Eight years. Yeah, I mean, that girl grew up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. I can't remember her name. Carmen? Was that her name? Yeah. Carmen. Carmen. Um, well, you're asking the right questions because how on earth did we go from three to four, Cam? Well, okay. So Robert Rodriguez comes back and writes and directs this movie and, you know, shoots it all at his Troublemaker Studios in Austin, Texas. And there's an anecdote that I saw floated around, floating around a lot, which is that it was a contractual obligation because of the Weinstein brothers that they wanted him to make this movie in the wake of Grindhouse, which had been a box office underperformer. I saw this quoted a lot on places like IMDb and kind of these various wiki sites. I could not find an official confirmation of this whatsoever. So it seems like the kind of nugget that I would 100% buy as being true, but I couldn't find anything to actually verify that it was accurate. Did this land in the theaters? It did, yeah. Really? Huh. I, I do remember. I remember it being marketed. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the same anecdote, Cam. And yeah, I could definitely understand it being believable because it. I won't get into my review, but I, I will just say it doesn't necessarily feel as inspired as perhaps some of the other ones. I mean, saying they're inspired is a bit of a leap, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And... The bit that I came across the most was Rodriguez talking about how when they were shooting Machete, that he was inspired to make this movie after watching Jessica Alba deal with her one-year-old. And I've got a quote from him. She was dressed up for set, but she had the baby with her, and the baby's diaper had exploded. She had to change this messy diaper without getting it on her clothes, and I thought this was perfect for a Spy Kids movie. Hmm. Right. It's a weird inspiration, but all right. Cool. I mean, he's he's proved that he can bang these ones out pretty quickly for no money whatsoever, so I guess. Yeah, and he repeated that anecdote on pretty much every single interview he did on that press tour. So in terms of like anything to do with the Weinstein brothers, I could completely believe that that's accurate, but it seemed like when it came to what Rodriguez has actually said, he's constantly referred back to this Machete anecdote with Alba. And like... So Uncle Machete is a character in the first Spy Kids and probably the second one also, right? So does and that third. mean and the third one? So does Machete take place in the Spy Kids universe? Yeah, you know, this is a conversation Scott and I have had back and forth. I guess so, although they are very different characters. The two versions of Machete. Well, he's like hanging out with kids. 
Well, Alexa Panna Vega turns up in one of the Machete films. Yeah, the second one. As a completely different character. Yeah. So there's like continuity issues there. But then, I mean, it's a Spy Kids film. No one's really keeping track of who's who, I suppose. But uh, and they are spies, <laughs> so they can have disguises. But I, I've just been pushing for it because I'd love to cover those films on the show because they'd be tangentially spy films. But uh, Cam keeps shutting me down. Start a letter campaign, everyone. <laughs> we'll have Machete on Spy Hearts. I have Machete on DVD if you want to come on and dump it with me. <laughs> I've um, That might be the middle ground, actually. <laughs> yeah. I've seen the box office on Machete 1 and 2. I don't know that you're going to get that many letters coming in, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> letter singular. <Yeah>. Mm. <laughs> so Rodriguez also said this movie was inspired by the outpouring of support from fans of the original trilogy. And I've got another quote from him here. He says, I realized there was still a need for them. It wasn't like movies came and took the place of Spy Kids when I left. There was still an empty space for that kind of movie. And I think he's actually pretty bang on there, where you look at those original three, and uh, we didn't really like the third one, but when you look at just the first two, it did not feel like there was like a string of kind of movies inspired by Spy Kids that followed in the wake. Well, you got Boss Baby. Well, that is accurate. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point, right. yeah. I wish we didn't have Boss Baby because <laughs> they're spy films and we have to talk about them at some point. Thank you. <laughs> um, no, but I know what you mean. There really hasn't been like a spiritual successor to Spy Kids. And there still hasn't been. I mean, just to contextualize when this episode was recorded just a couple of days ago, they announced that Robert Rodriguez is teaming up with Netflix to... You know, reboot, reinvigorate, revitalize the Spy Kids franchise. So it's coming back. Oh, no. That's right. <laughs> You're getting more. <laughs> <laughs> so because this movie was shot at Troublemaker Studios by Rodriguez, and he, of course, is his own cinematographer, effects guy, director, writer, producer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The behind-the-scenes details are few and far between. It's like, yep, I made the movie basically at home. And that's that. But I've got a few anecdotes I'll just share. So this movie um, was pretty much all a blur for Joel McHale. He shot this concurrently with doing Community, The Soup, and also preparing for a Carnegie Hall show. So that explains why he's really barely in this movie. And I would imagine if you asked him about his experiences shooting this movie, he'd be like, I, I don't remember. <laughs> he's, I kissed Jessica Alba. That's really all I remember. Explains why he hasn't got back to me on emails yet. No. Yeah. That oh yeah that's right just, uh, yeah he, he just uh so I was in Spy Kids I guess uh, but I have some notes about John McHale I'll probably save till later cool yeah the uh, spy hunter does not want to be a spy master interview <laughs> you're welcome you're welcome um and Daryl Sabara was originally not going to be in this movie very much at all he was working on a TV project and so they were only going to work him in at the end as a cameo but. He was freed up a little bit, so he was able to shoot more. And that was why when it came to the Alexa Vega material, like he was really, Rodriguez was tilting hard in that direction because he knew he could get her like for a fair amount of screen time versus Sabara. Which is is interesting because he kind of gets the lead role in the third one. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of fun that she was kind of playing the mentor in this one, but then he turns up anyway. Mm -hmm. I just assumed that he was late into this movie because he was too busy getting his penis out in Green Inferno. Because oh have you my... guys seen that movie? Oh my god, it's all coming back. That's right. He was the stoner in Green Inferno, wasn't yep, he? Yep, there's a lingering shot just zooming in on him taking a piss for a while. And a spider is going towards it and then nothing happens. It's just like, oh, just saw the Spy Kids guy's penis. 
Oh yeah, I saw that in theaters too. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I just thought I should put that out there. I don't know. I, I, is that something to be proud of? I uh, mm. It was an Eli Roth uh, cannibalism horror movie that um, I remember. There was one scene that made me quite nauseous to watch. But uh, yeah. yeah, isn't that the one that's kind of riffing off the old cannibal films, like the Cannibal Holocaust or whatever it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the one. That sort of thing. Yeah, I never saw it because that sort of stuff grosses me the f out. But uh, quite gross. Yeah, yeah. I also, don't want to see uh, Daryl Sparrow's penis. Apparently. So. <laughs> Sorry, Daryl. It's kind of the highlight of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> actually, his death in that movie is actually really funny. But uh, moving on from Green Inferno, um, this movie was, of course, shot in a Romascope, which would be these scratch and sniff cards that people in theaters would have been experiencing this movie through, as well as they included those cards in the home video releases. And <laughs> the whole Romascope thing was oh, yes. inspired by Rodriguez's memories of the movie polyester the john waters film from 1981 which was a something of a cult classic and used that gimmick back in the day and i think when we talked about 3d he was inspired by some other i don't remember what it was but it was another kind of cult classic thing and that was the case here as well this was in smellovision that's amazing i didn't know that was it also in 3d or was that the fourth d was you get to sniff a card it was also in 3d okay yeah, yeah. Um, just you just imagine going into a theater and someone hands you glasses and a scratch card. Like, what is that world? Well, I mean, you know, John Waters made it work back with polyester, so I guess it was. If you find the right movie, I guess it applies. And honestly, Rodriguez did make a point where he said, "I'm giving this movie in 3D with these scratch cards, and I'm not upcharging. Like, I'm including all this. It's kind of a keep the kids entertained type of movie. I'm not charging you twenty nine ninety nine to you know smell these things and when i look at movie theaters now where you get dinged endlessly for surcharges i'm kind of uh, you know i kind of appreciate his thinking in terms of just a movie like this it's really silly just give more gimmicks but don't charge extra mm-hmm. it's not like he's hurting for money true no no well, just to contextualize that a little bit i actually went and found out what the smells were yeah um, I, I didn't get to smell them, although you can get these scratch cards on eBay. How much? I have found out, so uh, I won't divulge that. Uh, but it's a lot, and I don't think the smell will have held on, to be fair. There's only one way to find out, guys. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. Um, it's interesting, because apparently it just works on like kind of a glue. Like You just scratch it, and it releases the like, aroma. It's not like an actual scratch card that has a little grey stuff that comes off of it. But there are eight smells, and basically throughout the film, it would flash a number on the screen, and you would scratch the according number on the card. And it, they're slightly uninspired, I will say. Okay. We start off with bacon, which, if you remember in the film, they're eating bacon at the breakfast table. Makes sense. Then there's blue cheese, when Jessica Alba gets covered in blue, apparently cheese, although it looks like paint. Yeah. Yeah. And then things get a bit weird. Number three was candy. They find some candy. Okay. Number four was candy. (laughs) (laughs) A different type of candy? Nope. Same candy, huh? Number five was also candy. (laughs) What? It must have been a different candy smell. (laughs) Uh, No. Apparently apparently one smelled smelled more like cinnamon, the other one smelled more like blueberries. Okay. 
but that, it, it says candy on it. Like, it's meant to smell like candy. Uh, then things get really weird. Number six. Baby poop. Well, there's a lot of that in this movie. That's I expected you to almost lead with that smell. Well, it just seems weird that they would give a, the kids a bad smell. And apparently it smells pretty... Actually, apparently the baby's poop smelled like chocolate. Okay. Which is going to give the kids a wrong idea about their younger siblings' diapers, but we'll <laughs> leave that. That's the start of some real trauma. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can I hire your septic tank? What for? No reason. <laughs> Number seven. Dog farts. Uh-huh, yeah. Capsulates my review of this film. I remember that part of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Number eight. Boogers. Now, guys, can you tell me what boogers smell like? No, I, I can't. I f- feel like the answer would be every smell. Because it is it punctuates everything. Because they're in there. I would have thought that the eighth one would have been like puke because there's a lot of like puke jokes in this movie. I've never seen so many puke jokes in my life. Well, apparently the person who reviewed this, and uh, I'll, I'll give them credit, it is Willa Paskin from Vulture.com. Well done, Willa. Thank you for your time and effort on the article. They said, boogers smell like something, but it has nothing to do with anything. That doesn't describe anything at all. A damning critique of AromaVision. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I guess AromaVision <laughs> was a bit of a big skip. But uh, Cam, do you have any more on the uh, the background of the film? Uh, not so much in terms of anecdotes, but I can say the budget for this movie was $27 million, which made it the lowest um, costing Spy Kids movie. Domestically, it did $38.5 million, international forty-seven. For a worldwide total of $85.6 million, which you go, well, the movie's pretty cheap. You know, it quadrupled its budget. But when you compare it to the past Spy Kids, it was a real step down. Because Spy Kids 1 did $148 million. Um, Spy Kids 2, $120 million. Spy Kids 3, 197 And this was, as I said, 85.6. So that is <laughs> a pretty considerable drop-off. Yeah. It still made money, though. Still made money. I mean, when you make them that cheap, it's hard not to. Although I would be curious, once you factor in marketing costs and everything, it was probably, uh, they probably did okay. It's still making money. In True. in April of 2022, they just made some money <laughs> today. <laughs> All of our rentals. Yes, you're, you're welcome, Rodriguez. <laughs> I watched it on Netflix, and so they would have Netflix licensing money coming in as well. So yeah. Oh, it's on Netflix over there. It is, yeah. It's the promised land here, Scott. <laughs> All the spy kids you could want. The only way to catch it here for free is I have a, a female friend who she has stars. I don't know why. She's a fool. And um, she said that it's not on demand on stars or on the app. You have to catch it when it comes on TV. And this Sunday, it's going to be on Stars Kids three times. And that's it. <laughs> this movie is hard to find without paying for it. As sad as that is. Well, I mean, this film is all about time. And this episode's coming out in about four weeks. So everyone, you know, travel back in time to Sunday of this recording. And you can watch Spy Kids 4 three on times. Stars. Three times for your sins. I don't know why on earth you'd want to. (laughs) 
And so um, it landed at number 82 for the year between Hall Pass, that somewhat forgotten Owen Wilson comedy, and J. Edgar, the really bad Clint Eastwood-directed DiCaprio Oscar bid movie. And the top three for the year, number one was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Number two was Transformers Dark of the Moon. And number three was Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. What a year. That is a... That is a rough top three. Only uh, the top one is watchable. I think I saw all of those in theaters. So did I. Uh, yeah, that makes three for three. Wow. And all of them made over a billion dollars each. Harry Potter makes sense. No wonder theaters are dying. Yeah. This is what we're funding, guys. That's right. And um, <laughs> sequels. Some other spy films that were released this year. Number five was Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Number 10 was Cars 2. Number 47 was Johnny English Reborn. Number 86 was Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And number 118 was The Debt, starring Jessica Chastain. And just a few notes on the back end of this. Originally, Antonio Banderas was going to be in this movie. And it sounds like they did shoot some things, but Rodriguez cut it because he just didn't feel like they could do proper service to the character. And he would be back in a fifth entry, (laughs) which would be shot in 5D. Wait. The fifth what? dimension. Time. You go back in time. Well, like realistically, what's the gimmick? 4D was smell-o-vision. What is 5D? Okay, well, what's your senses? You've got sound, sight, touch. Well, 3D is the third one. Well, okay, yeah, that's the reality of it. But like, smell is apparently the fourth. Uh, I don't know. I guess they Taste. would have had to have figured that out. Taste, maybe? Yeah, oh, that's probably it, right? No, I was going to say, like, physical touch, like someone punches you when you watch the film. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you here? Well, like, Ah. if you go to, like, you know, Disneyland or Universal or various places, they have these, like, I guess they would call it 4D rides, but where things like poke you and stuff in the back of the head and whatever, or shoot air cannons at the back, at your back or, you know, knees. But, like, I don't think they would have been able to equip theaters with that for a 5D experience just for a Spy Kids 5 so I would rule that out. Um, well, they they have those theaters now. They're, they call them 4DX here, where they're yeah. like. I remember seeing Rogue One in them, and I I hated the experience because you're constantly being thrown around by your chair. Mm-hmm. Now I, I I feel uncomfortable enough as an adult watching a Spy Kids film. <laughs> I also wouldn't want to be thrown around in my chair whilst that's happening. No, no. <laughs> so I guess the jury's still out on what 5D would have been, and we may never know because there was no sequel to this movie in theaters um and rodriguez said at the time he was open to handing it off to different directors which tells me he was about done with the spy kids universe does anybody want this somebody come get (laughs) this please (laughs) and so the spy kids franchise was kind of dormant for a while in 2018 there was an animated show called spy kids mission critical that aired did anyone see a single episode of this it's on netflix here Again, didn't know it existed, but I'm assuming Antonio Banderas is the main actor. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I think, think so. I think Carmen and Juni are the focus. Are they? But I don't think the original actors are back. Okay. And yeah, and then as you said, Scott, on March 31st, 2022, they announced this, the Spy Kids were coming back to Netflix. So, Scott, we may be tackling more Spy Kids in the future, and that fills me with terror. <laughs> Can you imagine if Netflix like doubles down and starts printing one out every year as well, and then we're just in perpetuity just caught in this cycle of Spy Kids reviews? 
Well, it really does scare me because Rodriguez did a movie for Netflix uh, maybe a year ago that had, I think, Sharkboy and Lava Girl came back. It wasn't it wasn't like a direct sequel to their movie, but those characters came back in it. And like this movie was just critically reviled. Like they said it was unwatchable. So the idea of a Spy Kids 5 or 6 and 7 that follow in the mold of what that was really, really concerns me. I just hope they go to like a strip down the original concept of these kids and the parents of spies and just reboot the whole thing and just make it just kind of fun. I just hope yeah. they go to a strip club. I feel like that'd be perfect step for the Spy Kids franchise. That's a rough upbringing for the Spy Kids. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, your dad's actually James Bond and he's spending his nights in the casino and like ignoring you. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about <laughs> trying to get dad's attention. Where's, where's dad? Oh, he's, uh, <laughs> he's down at the casino again. Sorry. <laughs> oh, the lives of Spy Kids. Well, <sighs> no one ever notices time until it's gone so let's talk about it all the time in the world lads miles you're the guest what do you think are we just getting into it are we gonna go beat for beat what happens or am i just gonna tell you how terrible of a movie this is we don't do beat for beat just your like encapsulation of your thoughts um well my first thought was i thought we were friends so we've covered that um (laughs) uh the uh the Jessica Alba is so hot. I wrote in my notes about 50 times, especially when she puts on that like black widow leather suit. And, um, I've never seen so many puke jokes in one film because there were a lot like so, so, so many. And, uh, wrote about green inferno and penises and, uh, overall, not a great movie but i was surprised at how many plot twists there were and how important every line of dialogue was by the end of the movie so it wasn't like a poorly written movie just the execution of it was horrific i i I think i had a similar note in terms of conceptually there's something there it's more the delivery that falls apart Mm -hmm. although i will say i think a lot of the uh the acting is is pretty bad but but cam what do you think Scott, why? Why am I here? <laughs> what, what am I doing? Um, <laughs> listeners, 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 we would like to apologize that uh, we've made you sit through now four of these reviews. Now, there are Spy Kids fans out there. There are people on Twitter that talk to us when we put these Spy Kids films out, and we appreciate their insight and appreciate their love of the franchise. But there's something about being a grown man sitting down and watching a Spy Kids film that just makes you question so many of your choices. When when the film's coming out with things like Never underestimate the power of puke and Double O Woof is my code name. You just you just question yourself. I ah, oh, Cam. Yeah, so I guess overall We did Spy Kids 3, you know, a handful of weeks ago, and I think this might be better than Spy Kids 3D in that it feels like a real movie. It's not good. It's it's In fact, it's horrendous. But when we talked about Spy Kids 3, one of the big problems we had was we couldn't even figure out what the theme of that movie was. You know, we were here with Chicklet, and between the four of us, we were like, there's like eight themes going around. This movie's incoherent. And on top of that, it's just aggravating to watch. And the 3D visuals were awful. And I was genuinely concerned going into this one. I was getting more of the same. I would be spending a lot of time watching pixels bounce around the screen. And 
that wasn't the case, so I appreciated that. And the movie is very heavy-handed with its time theme, but I think it actually makes sense in terms of the story they're telling. So I give them some points for that, but there's something that feels very low-rent about this movie. And yes. Yeah, like... Yes, I absolutely feel that, yes. Yeah, Rodriguez, he makes these movies on the cheap. He's done that for all of them, and you can say the effects look kind of wonky in the first couple, but I think there's a genuine sense of, like, he's trying to do more than maybe he's even able to on his budget, whereas with this one... If you'd have told me this was like a straight-to-video sequel that someone just made, I'd be like, yeah, I, I can believe that. It feels like that. And also, I think the previous Spy Kids films were actually pretty good about veering away from just like, you know, poop and puke jokes. Like, you'd get one or something, but it didn't double down on them. It seemed to have more respect for its, like, kid audience and their parents. <laughs> I think parents could sit through a Spy Kids movie, especially the first two, and be like... Look, this wasn't my all-time favorite film, but it was enjoyable to watch with my kids. I don't think that's the case with this one. This movie feels like it's solely made for like eight or nine-year-olds and no one else. It felt like a Nickelodeon original movie. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I. It's. I'm glad you both sort of picked up on that, and and, and both of your notes are basically what I've got. But like, it feels like a, a commercial. Like it just has that sort of like low rent as you said style and you know i mean firstly my first note was who would have known that tiktok would ruin the world <laughs> i think everyone knew <laughs> they, they well they nailed that pretty early in 2011 but uh, i mean if you'll pardon the uh the dog pun i wrote this film was rough ouch uh, um lackluster Despite some fun concepts, which I think I like the whole dad not knowing about it, changing the family dynamic, I think is quite cool. It's a different angle on it instead of everyone just everyone and their uncle, literally, being a spy. It's nice having one who wasn't a spy. I liked that, although John McHale feels like he is sleeping through this film. But it just fails to deliver anything at all. And I think where the original three films could hang their hat on at least some things for adults to maybe enjoy, this this film has has left that building. We are now firmly in the territory of a Nickelodeon film. It's all poop and fart jokes the whole way through, and it's unwatchable for adults. The beginning of this movie, it felt like the way that dream sequences start movies and comedies. Like, she's like, I'm also pregnant and gonna give birth, and here I'm gonna go down a zip line, and I'm gonna fight ten bad guys as my water's breaking, and I'm like, and then Melissa McCarthy comes on screen. No? Oh, this is actually the plot of this movie. Okay. Alright, and it just gets more and more heinously goofy and ham-fisted. I remember saying about the first one specifically that at least it has some reverence for the spy films it's riffing off of and is trying to be a spy film in its own right. I appreciated that. Whereas this one makes no effort to disguise its villain. Like I know, obviously Piven's playing both characters, but you know that the OSS leader is the bad guy. Oh, it's just there is no guessing that. <laughs> when you're coming on screen talking like Jimmy Durante or something like he's like, "Hey, I smell a rat." And it's like, like what? <laughs> like what is going on with this character? This is insane. It was very obvious that he was the villain right off the bat. And I think when we talked about those previous 3, you know, you look at the first one, it's a full-on like James Bond homage. 
um, or, you know, to a lot of those kind of crazy 60s spy movies. Yep. You look at the second one, it's got a lot, a lot of that Harryhausen adventure movie kind of feel. You look at the third one, which sucks, but it has a lot of, you know, there's some Tron in there. There's a lot of video game stuff going on. It has its own specific feel. This one, what is it? Like, what? Ex- go-go gadget. Yeah. That's what this one is. Is It's a go-go gadget movie. 100%. Like, the car, the wheels, like, jump out and they zip around. There's all these claws, like, Doc Ock claws coming out, grabbing stuff. This is go-go gadget if ever there was one. But I think to to your point, Cam, the other three were riffing off of something. This is just a paint-by-numbers Spy Kids film. Like you, you couldn't write it any more generic than this. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I could have played John McHale's part. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to play that part. I'm really lamping on John McHale. By the way, I love him in Community. I think Jeff Winger is a fantastic character, and he's a very funny actor. Yeah. But in this film... Oh, boy. Yeah, well, I have many questions about his character when we dive a little deeper. But my other, I guess, major point I want to make was just that this movie's trying to reboot this series. It's been dormant for eight years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're going to reboot something, it can really work. But I don't know what exactly they were offering here that would make people excited for another trilogy of Spy Kids films. Scratch and sniff cards. I guess. And the promise of 5D. <laughs> and uh, Carmen. Carmen and Jessica Alba, definitely good selling points for this movie. Which is funny because it's a kid's film. Yeah. It's not for the kids. It's for me. Uh, well, well, I'm glad you found something you like, <laughs> oh, which I actually did. pivots me perfectly. I, well, probably two things, but that pivots me perfectly over to uh, the likes section. Let's talk about some things that we did like, if we can find some in there. I'll, I'll lead us off. I haven't got anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm stretching. I'm, I'm really trying. No. Okay, Jessica Alba, aside from you know, Black Widow titillating zip-up scenes, it's quite fun to see her just hamming it up. Like she's the, the first 10 minutes of this film is quite funny in that sense. Like she then just falls back to doting mother mode yeah. afterwards, uh, which is a shame. You've got Jessica Alba, and she's done a lot of great films. And this is just how they use her. Has she? But Has she done a lot of great films? I actually don't know. I was just trying to be nice. Um, Like, Sin City is definitely popular. Fantastic Four. <laughs> Fantastic Four was so great. <laughs> Good luck, Chuck. Um, <laughs> okay, we're, we're going for everyone today, are we? Okay. The Love Jessica Guru. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Lordy. Um. I liked Jessica Alba in the first 10 minutes. That's my like. You happy? (laughs) It's good enough. Okay. I mean, I agree with you. I think her and Alexa Vega were actually the most fun performances in the movie. Like, it felt like they both knew exactly what type of movie they were making, but tried to elevate it when they could. Like, Alexa Vega is, like, giving a lot of her mentor figure dialogue way more gravitas than the movie deserves. Like... This movie is ridiculously silly, but you completely buy that Carmen is a, you know, world-weary spy at this point and understands the world of the spy kids and wants to mentor these two kids. So, like, honestly, if I were handing out, like, MVP awards or something, it would go to Alexa Vega because she's trying. And I think Jessica Alba, it's the same thing. All of the stuff to do with the mother, uh, you know, our stepmother and daughter um, relationship, It's we've seen this in a billion things, like sitcoms bad movies it's everywhere but i thought like that jessica alba 
was working really hard at making those emotional moments work. And, you know, a different actor might not have done that. There were a few moments of just sprinkled intrigue in there that I was like, okay, Jeremy Piven's a bad guy. All right, cool, cool. And then they're like, we don't talk about our brother. And I'm like, hmm, okay. Maybe they are going to take me on a little ride here. Maybe he's secretly the bad guy in this one. All right, I'm into this. Let's go. Let's. Oh, he's not. All right, that's fine. And um, so there was like that. And Jeremy Piven's character just had so many plot twists at the end. I didn't hate it. Like, I didn't know all of the people wearing silly masks were supposed to be Jeremy Piven. It was suspicious that we didn't see any of their faces. <laughs> but yeah, just so much Jeremy Piven at the end. And he even put eye drops in his eyes to make it look like he was crying. He, he gave it his all. When you have the reveal of his backstory about his father dying, like, say what you will about the overall movie, it feels like they really, they gave their villain a compelling motivation that actually makes sense on paper. Mm-hmm. So... It's better than Stallone. Yeah, like, I don't know what Stallone was doing. And we could not figure out anything that character was doing in Spy Kids 3D. Whereas I think here... The movie around him sucks. Like, as we said, it's like low rent, just kind of juvenile humor. But in terms of like a villain, I understand what he wants. I understand like how it will not work for him. And he does learn a lesson in the end, which is something that I think they tend to do in all the Spy Kids movies where the villains just need to learn a lesson. The Spy Kids 3D lesson that Stallone learned didn't make any sense. Whereas here, I think it's supported by what the movie's telling us. Well, the first one also has a very strong villain in Alan Cummings. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they do not have a strong villain until this film. So it's, I think credit to them that, that that they at least got that right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that Jeremy Piven's the actor I would have demanded as a Spy Kids villain. But, you know, you work with what you have. I, I never thought I'd see him doing time raps. <laughs> <laughs> True. 2011, though, that was the height of Piven. Like, he was he was a git back then. Mm-hmm. Miles, what about you? Something you liked? Well, besides Jeremy Piven and besides the the beautiful, 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 beautiful women in it, um, we got some really solid lines like, worst stepmom ever, but best spy mom ever. Like, I'm a fan of cheese, man. The cheese is a good time in this. Like, as the movie was going on, I was enjoying making fun of it so much. That like I kind of got an intrinsic value out of it. Sure. That I'm I was like texting people like this movie is so dumb, it's dumb, but also dumb that it's good, dumb, dumb. So there's enough dumbs in there that when I said good, it kind of justifies when I say good that that it's surrounded by the dumb in a, a dumb sandwich that most of the ingredients are dumb. But there was a little bit of good in there. Like, I thought the plot twists were okay. Joel McHale was funny. And, um, yeah, they they didn't have too much of the guy who got his penis out in Green Inferno. So, all of those things combined, we got a one out of five movie. Yeah. Well, you're you're really, really like, uh, telegraphing your knock list vote. But we'll keep that pinned down for a second. Cam, what about you? Something you liked? Um, well, you know, I said I thought Vega and Alba were doing the best they could with the material. And I know Alexa Vega later said that this movie didn't count. <laughs> like, she actually had a quote where she's like, Really? Yeah, she's like, that one didn't really count. <laughs> <laughs> she says this is non-canonical. I guess so. Maybe they're just going to ignore it moving forward. Um, Jessica Alba won't be playing Antonio Banderas' sister uh, any point in the future, I guess. But um... Also, I just have to point out, it, maybe we could talk about it in the dislikes, but... You know, Machete is in this film. Well, 
briefly. If you blink, you'll miss. Them. I mean, what what was that though? That they must have filmed something and then just thought, eh, no, just freeze him. I guess so. Like he, I think they filmed maybe a scene with Cheech Marin too that was cut. I don't, I couldn't find confirmation, but I've heard that a few other places. Why was he flying through the air trying to catch a pen? Uh, the the one moment you see him, he's just like trying to get a pen out of the air, and that's it. I'm gonna assume he tripped and then froze, but like tripped six feet in the air. I don't know. It, like I literally was writing in my phone, "Where is Danny Trejo?" And I looked up and I just saw the a flash of a mustache, and I had to go, "Wait, no, that was him." And I rewound it. Literally, if you blink, you miss him. It was very brief. Very, I mean, it's very strange. Yeah, like when we did Spy Kids 3D, that one ends with that Avengers scene where you've got all of the various characters from Spy Kids where um, a lot of them have like three seconds at best of screen time, but it felt like they were all adding to something, whereas the Machete uh, cameo in this was kind of inexplicable, really. <laughs> you just wouldn't put it in, would you, really? No. You just wouldn't put it in. Well, I, I think we have already summed up our likes. I actually have something else. Uh, um, oh, there's, wow. Cam really likes this film, guys. I uh, love it. Um, there's a couple homages that are bad that I'll talk about, but there was one where when they went to the gadget room, which reminded me a lot of Die Another Day when they're seeing all the yep. gadgets from past Spy Kids films. But when um, Junie puts on the glove and like pulls it up to his face, they do the replica of the Evil Dead 2 Army of Darkness shot um that bruce campbell famously does with the chainsaw slash metal gauntlet hand and i was very happy to see that i didn't even pick up on it do you mean cecil oh sorry yes yes my correct yeah correct me yeah cecil the the spy kid boy yes cecil played by mason cook okay yeah i remember that shot i but i don't think i've seen evil dead enough times to make the comparison Hmm. yeah how did we feel about the kid actors in this movie we didn't really touch. On I was going to take us on to that. All right, go I was going to take us on. It, no, well, that's the perfect thing to bring up, though, Miles. You know, this is the first time we have different spy kids, and the film is about the kids. And I think one thing we, one thing I will say, in hindsight, is Daryl Sabara and Alexa Pena Vega are good actors. Mm-hmm. These guys. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Rowan Blanchard is still acting tons. She's in a lot of things at the moment. But Mason Cook, not so much. But what do you guys think? Mason Cook was on that show Speechless for quite a while. So he is actually a working actor. They both have done a decent amount, but nothing I'm particularly familiar with. But I guess I'm kinder to them because I go, well, it's not like uh, Sabara and Vega were like you know, batting a hundred in the first Spy Kids film right out of the gate. Like, I think they got to be better actors as the series kept going in a lot of ways. And so, like, I thought these two kids were fine, but I also felt like they weren't specific enough. Like, they didn't do enough with those kids to make you really want to hang on with them for a trilogy of films, for example. Like, they didn't feel as just interesting or they didn't pop off the screen in the same way that the, you know, the original duo did. Well, I think one thing that worked for the original duo is they weren't like hyper geniuses. Yeah. These two, I mean, the Cecil character early on in the film is sat there reading a, you know, thermodynamics book or something like that, like to make him look smart. And I just thought, uh, okay, this is, I mean, you think of Junie's introduction and he's like falling off of a jungle gym because he has warts on his fingers. Very different introduction. 
I think a mistake they made was when you look at the original Spy Kids, the reason they succeed is because they think like kids. Yeah. Whereas in this one, it's like Cecil is doing like anagrams really like faster than any adult can figure them out. And I'm like, well, like you're not relying on the strengths of what makes a kid a kid. You're just like basically upgrading the intelligence of children to to be like genius level adults. Like Marvel does. Like they just all of their kid characters are super smart or super flexible or whatever. Like it's not about being a kid. It's about being able to compete with adults in that kind of lore. And they definitely diverged from the whole appeal of the first two, at least. I don't know about the third one, is that kids can be the heroes, too. But you don't have to be a special kid, as the the final scene of this movie lets all the kids know. You are now active agents. All kids are now spy kids. That scene. <laughs> I have so many questions about that final scene. <laughs> I mean, firstly, why are none of the kids in the crowd wearing 3D glasses? Oh, that's an excellent question. I don't know. They're meant to be watching the film. Just all of them are sniffing cardboard like, oh, what? <laughs> We're on camera now? <laughs> Starting off some, uh, yeah, some, some uh, addiction problems there very early on. Why aren't half of them asleep? <laughs> yeah. Where are the bored parents in the crowd? <laughs> I can't believe this landed in the theater. I really can't. It feels so Nickelodeon. Ah. Uh. Uh, that would be that would be a different ending altogether. Well, it sounds like we weren't all fans of the kids. Cam more of a defender of them. Eh, they're fine. Cam is a defender of this film. No, Cam I would I would say the kids film. are fine. Like they weren't annoying. They didn't bother me. It's just like they didn't have the charisma of the original duo. But but then it's like if you give them this material, like why would they be great? You're not going to get a great performance with this script. This is true. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Agents, pardon the interruption, but we have some top secret intel. That's right. Independent podcasting is not cheap. Equipment, hosting, research. We don't have Townsend Agency resources. And also, we don't want to run ads on the show. No one wants to hear that shit, tucky mushrooms. And this is a big reason we created the Spy Hearts Patreon. So we're here asking for your help. Please consider joining the Patreon. You'll not only be gaining access to our exclusive lineup of reviews and film commentaries, but also helping support the show. We're currently saving to upgrade our sound equipment to bring your listening experience up to Q-Branch standards. With a wide range of flexible options and an ever-growing catalogue to dive into, become a true spy hard today and enter the Xander Zone at patreon.com slash spyhards that's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S, or you can find a link in the show notes below. Now, Cam, on with the spy jinx. Well, speaking of things we didn't like, and let's take us over to the dislike column, I want to talk about Ricky Gervais. Mm, I think a very uh, strong point of contention. A lot of people actually really liked him in this movie or said that this was the highlight but uh you're joking no i've heard people say that and i'm kind of with you i thought he was terrible in fact i thought it was james corden to start and i made a note actually that said classic james corden comedy and then i looked (laughs) (laughs) and then i looked it up on imdb and i was like oh oh (laughs) correction scratch out james corden so my apologies to james corden it's just your other comedy that's terrible nothing here (laughs) wait Ricky Gervais is in this movie? He was the talking dog, yes. Oh, didn't know that. Argonaut. 
Argonaut. Yes, the talking dog that farts and knows kung fu. Yes, much like the baby. Was he in all the other ones? Like, was there no. a talking dog in the others? Because they made it seem like there were, and I was like, I don't remember a talking dog at all. No, there were other dogs in the uh, in the Spy Kids Museum. So, yeah, I can see why you'd be led that way. But no, that was the only time. And I think if you look back on our history with talking dogs uh, on Spy Hards, we've never been a big fan. No. Frank in uh, Men in Black gave us headaches. <laughs> and uh, Argonaut isn't faring much better. I, I just... I, I've spent a lot of time watching Ricky Gervais in my life. I've seen him live. I've seen his stand-up live. I, I used to be a big fan. Not so much anymore. I don't know. I don't know why. I kind of went off him. But... His delivery of these lines. Now, I know it's a Spy Kids film. We shouldn't be analysing this man's acting. He's sitting in a voiceover booth somewhere in London, probably doing this work and calling it in. But like, it just sounds like Ricky Gervais talking. It, there is no putting on a voice. He's not pretending to be a dog. He's just Ricky Gervais. It also felt like Rodriguez was just like, riff, riff. Give us like lots yeah. of jokes. Like Just make them up on the spot. You're a comedian. You're obviously someone able to just conjure up amazing material out of thin air. That's what it kind of felt like. And like this character, you know, you mentioned it earlier. It's like, it's just lowest common denominator. I did think the joke of initially the watcher dog where they're like throwing food and just bouncing off its head. I thought that was actually pretty funny. But once you're getting things like there's a trifecta of moments when they are dealing with a bunch of bad guys and you get the oil slick dog pee followed immediately by the butt bombs which are like ball bearings that jump you know that spray out of its butt and then followed by pull my finger in which it farts on the kids and i'm like this was in the span of about 30 seconds to a minute and it just tells you kind of where the level of intelligence for this movie is and this character kind of just works in that world at a certain point i think that was the moment where like in my head the uh the gif of jerry seinfeld in seinfeld played where he's in the crowd he just goes, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> just walks out. <laughs> that dog's bomb farts literally were killing people on their team. Like, there were explosions that were throwing people into walls and, like, I'm sure crushing their kidneys and their livers were bursting. And they were just like, can't ground us, guys. <laughs> Let's kill these guys. you got to think, like, how bad of an organization is the OSS? Two untrained kids and a dog were able to escape them. They were like, you don't have permission to be here. You don't have clearance. This is a hallway. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, well, what, what about you, Miles? Something you haven't mentioned so far that you didn't like about the film? Uh, something I didn't like. Uh, well, I have mentioned that there are so many puke jokes. Like, I don't find puke that particularly funny. Like, you got to hit it at the right moment. And every 30 seconds, there was a puke joke in here, and it was really frustrating. But most of what I didn't like was that the gadgets were cool, but what made them cool was so, so unnecessary. Like, when the spaceships landed and they did this, like, twirly thing to let them out, it landed in such a way that they could have just gotten out. But instead, it, like, stood itself up and spun and, like, opened up, and then it just released them slowly onto the ground. It's like, or it could have just opened and they could have gotten, like... It took it so far into camp that it was, like, unple unpleasurable? <laughs> I don't know. And, like, the like all the gadgets, I think, is really what I liked least about this, is that they just were so over the top that they were not actually functional. 
I think they worked better in the first one because you know when you open the first one, you have that whole love story of Banderas meeting, you know, his wife, Carla Gugino. And yeah. it's played at sort of a heightened reality. Like it's not just kind of normal day to day. It feels strange. Whereas like this movie, yeah, you've got pregnant Alba fighting at the start of the movie, but a lot of it just feels partly because it's cheap, but it doesn't have any sort of sense of kind of whimsical world building. It just feels like kind of, I don't know, like it's just kind of grounded in a very boring, very boring real world. And so when you throw moments like that in, they seem that much more jarring. I think that's where I think the film falls down for a lot of people is it just, there was jokes and moments in there for adults originally. And now this is just, lowest common denominator stuff as we said and and so i'm just rolling my eyes which i think brings me to a question i wanted to ask while we're still going through the dislike section are we too old to appreciate this film if i if i showed my young niece or nephew this film would they laugh they have you know would they roll on the floor laughing you know it, it, is it a good film for kids i don't know uh it's a film for kids um i don't know that it's a good film for kids but like kids like lots of stuff um, when I was a kid, I liked all sorts of crap. That doesn't make it good. Um, mm -hmm. I, I would suspect that, yeah, they might sit through this one and be like, yeah, I like that. But they would probably like the first or second one more. And they'd be like, those are the ones I want to rewatch. I have a confession. Uh-oh. When I was a kid, I really, really liked Home Alone 3. And this movie is a spy version of that movie. So I do believe as a kid, I would have liked this movie. Yeah, probably. I would have sat through it and been if i were like eight years old i would have been like yeah i like that mm -hmm. but then how do you objectively review a kid's film as an adult um well if you're a you see if you're reviewing it from a kid it's every movie you're ever going to talk about is good so you can't yeah. there's no point reviewing anything from the point of view of an eight-year-old so you have to do it as an adult yeah and so then okay yeah as as a producer of art you need to take into consideration the quality of your art and the style of your art is designed for a specific audience. So we are not the audience for this movie, though we have unfortunately watched it. We we really aren't the people who like, uh, I don't know, Napoleon Dynamite. That movie was not designed for 50 year old men to watch and understand. Like <laughs> it, there is a specific audience that would find it funny that he's throwing cheese potatoes at a llama like. I don't know. It's this movie was not made for us and I don't think it's right for us to say like, oh, this is the worst movie ever made because it's not, but it's also just it's not for us. So how do you objectively say like this isn't a good movie? And the only thing I can think of is when I was a kid, I definitely would have liked this movie. But I would also compare it to many other movies made for that age group that are infinitely better and not written at a level that is just so kind of low rent and phoned in. Like what? I mean, any like a lot of the Disney stuff. You're comparing mm -hmm. this against like a Disney movie made for kids. It's like a whole other world. This is way better than Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say the original Home Alone is made for young kids, and mm -hmm. I think is an infinitely better film. That's true. Does it, does a kids film have to service both kids and adult adults? In a in the best world, yes. Yeah, ideally. Ideally, okay. Well, before we sort of start to look at knock lists, um, Cam, I don't think we've had a dislike from you yet. I've got a few things. So um, I'm going to start with just some basic ones, which is like, 
when I look at the other ones, they were paying homage, but they were really creative. I look at like the thumb characters in the original, for example. I've never seen that in a spy movie. It's not like he just worked in generic spy things. All the gadgets they had in that movie were very kid-oriented and felt original. Whereas like here, you noticed a lot of Marvel stuff. Uh, Miles mentioned earlier the Doc Ock claw. You also had all the bad guys on the Green Goblin gliders. You had, um, I think it was um, uh, Cecil doing the like Iron Man punch on the ground. You also had the whip, which felt a lot like the, you could say the Ferengi whip from Star Trek, but it also, one year before this movie came out was Iron Man 2, which had whiplash with his electro whips. And it just felt like derivative in a way the other ones did not. It felt like regardless of what you think of the previous three, they were coming up with their own original concepts. And I guess the Timekeeper is closer to that, but a lot of this gimmickry stuff really felt like I'd seen it a billion times. Yeah, it, it's definitely not original. I, I I think the film does have some interesting things, that, like the Timekeeper I think is kind of fun, and the dad not knowing, as I said before, is kind of fun. But yeah, I, I, it's, I think I said it earlier, uninspired. Yeah. And... I think we just need to have a conversation about Joel McHale's character. Because this, I don't, who is this man? Like, what is his job? He's the spy hunter. No, but okay. Can you tell me, what is the spy hunter TV show? He hunts spies. Well, I, I think that's kind of part of the movie. He's, he doesn't know. but the, he, He's not getting it right. But there's a show that's on the air that he is starring in. What is this show about? Tam, there are numerous numerous tv shows on like premium channels in america in the united kingdom in in canada that are absolute dross that mean nothing and do nothing and spend 45 minutes of its hour runtime just giving you recaps of the last five minutes this is not a new thing i i agree with you there you ever see a sasquatch show (laughs) like all the sasquatch (laughs) shows there's hundreds of them (laughs) never find him (laughs) Is, so is that just the show? Is he just wanders the streets looking for randos that it could be spies? Well, look at like the ghost hunting shows and stuff like that, where they, they go to like a house and find paranormal activity or try to find it, and it's like they spend forty five minutes walking around, you know, with, with like those cameras to see in the dark, and you know the old spooky noise will happen because a house moves, <laughs> and that's it. That's your show. Okay. Well, so I mean. Was this man? I'm not defending it though. It's a stupid idea. Yeah, like <laughs> it. It spent very little time with this character, so I'm like, I don't even understand what his show is. They never really showed footage of his TV show to give us an indication as to what exactly happens on it, and um, also a lot of this wedged in marital problems he has with Jessica Alba, and then also by extension his family about his like fear of not being able to protect them, and the classic classic hollywood story of the father who's just working too much made by people that work too much um you know like this is the classic you know you just need to work less okay yeah sure that really you know factors into the real world i'm sure a lot of the parents in the theater really appreciated that message but (laughs) it's all you know in in a different movie like uh it can be done in a way where you go okay like hook the movie, the Spielberg movie, which is no critical darling, but at least spends a f- darling. Actually, that's a uh, Peter Pan reference. Boy, points to me. Uh, nonetheless, <laughs> um, you know, when you watch Hook, that's the theme of the movie and it's exploring it throughout. Whereas everything they're doing with the Joel McHale character, they clearly had to wedge into his limited, you know, amount of shooting time. 
And so it's just very just tossed in there to the point where I'm like, why bother? Why bother doing any of this? Well, it's just weird that like at the start of his character, he's like, hey, I should make a TV show about spy hunting. Yeah. With just no connection to the fact that Jessica Alba is a spy and he's never had any indication that she's a spy. So like, how do you get from zero to I'm going to make a spy hunter TV show? You got me. Man hates spies, dude. He hates spies. When he was a kid, somebody listened to him when he was on the playground telling a secret to somebody. And ever since then, <laughs> fucking hates spies. He really hates spies. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a better backstory than what we got. Yeah, which was really. None. So I feel like kind of to to Cam's point a little bit that this film tries to justify itself to the parents. It's like, hey, spend time with your kids. Because you don't have a lot of time to spend with your kids. Like, they even have a character who cries in a car because he's like, spend time with your kids. And it's like, okay, you're spending time with your kids watching this terrible movie. Don't be mad you're watching a terrible movie. <laughs> be happy you're spending time with your kids. Like, what a defense mechanism for this movie. <laughs> I never looked at it from that angle before. And I, I think there's also a beautiful symmetry in the fact that we didn't have enough time to explore Joel McHale's character. Right? Yeah. I mean... Look at it. I, I, Look at I, it. It all comes around. Full circle, man. Time is a flat circle. I'm sure they were happy to get him, but if you're not going to give that character... Were they? Well, if you're not going to give that character <laughs> suitable screen time, don't like keep just hammering the audience in the head with really lazy messages. There's one bit I really liked where they, you get the clip of the Spy Hunter TV show and like the intro mm. and he's doing spy tropes like he's in a casino. He's the, you know, kind of James Bond. He's wearing a tuxedo. I thought that was actually quite a nice touch. I would like to have seen that was interesting. I would like to have seen more of like this fake spy world he was inhabiting as it then and then the, the spy world of the reality slowly like merged with his own. But that's a different film altogether. Well, why not show some footage? It could have been really funny of his actual TV show. Like where he's chasing people down the street or something like that, and you could play it for comedy and audi and like you know the uh, audience members who are adults might actually find it funny because you could play off some of the reality TV tropes that you were referencing with like ghost hunter shows and things like that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting to adults, though. That's not interesting to kids. Yeah, but that's the thing. These past Spy Kids movies, ha not the third one, but the first two, had moments that the adults could enjoy in the in the theater. Hey, I, I agree, man. I, I, I think that's uh, lacking in this film. I just, I'm not sure that was what they wanted. I guess. You know, like they, they, they didn't want something with an adult. They didn't want it to be as good as the previous three? Well. What if they did a thing like they did with Machete, where they like, okay, we're going to spin this character off into a really gritty comedy reboot sequel where Joel McHale is out there hunting down spies and just brutally murdering them. <laughs> Espionage and playing cards and being like, that guy's definitely a spy and he kills him in the bathroom or something. That would be a good movie, right? Way to go, Joel McHale. I've just written you a great film. I hope you enjoy it and sign this contract on the dotted line. And reply to my emails. <laughs> and reply to the yeah. emails. <laughs> I, I did just want to also moan very quickly about a problem that Spy Kids 3 has and this film also has and the fact that they write themselves into a corner and then they just magic it away through timey-wimey nonsense. Mm -hmm. I don't really understand how the guy gives up in the end 
And I know he goes backwards in time one more time, I think, then realizes that he can't change time. So then he waits until now and then turns up like Captain America in Endgame as an old man. Spoilers, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, but then TikTok, hey, if you haven't seen Endgame, go watch that. It's a better film. Yeah. And then TikTok turns up and then finds out that everyone else is also Jeremy Piven. Uh, I don't know. I think by that point, maybe I'd, I'd run out of time and patience. It was a resolution to that story that I, I wonder if like kids in the audience even really grasp what they're being told. Like That's the thing. This movie is so dumbed down. And then you have a moment like that where I'm like, well, the adults would clearly understand what is happening here. I don't... Would it, if you were eight years old, would you be satisfied with that ending for that villain? Well, you, you want like a big old wacky fight sequence, don't you, really? Yeah. Where he gets, he gets kapowed. Not like a poignant lesson about the, uh, <laughs> the cruelty <laughs> of time. I think there it was a the fire moment. in which we burn. Yeah. There was a brief moment of the kapow when the baby flips him over and disables him. Like, oh. they were like, oh, shit, we did uh, fuck yeah, this up. Yeah, we, yeah. we ought to disable this guy using the baby. Like, why didn't the dog do it? It's so much easier than the kids doing a somersault. It's like a CG somersault. Here's what's been stuck in my mind since this, right? They make oh. the distinction. Okay, spy is grown-up spy, right? We got spy kids out here with all their gadgets and their pranks and stuff. They're spy baby. At what age do you graduate from spy baby to spy kid? And then from spy kid to spy? Like, is there, like, an, another one in there? It's like, spy teen, where we talk about boys and girls and have acne and braces, but the braces have machine guns in them. Like, I don't, I feel like there's more to it than this. Spy teens sounds very emotional. It's a website on the internet that you don't want to go to. Okay, skipping straight <laughs> on from there. <laughs> I, I, I just want to note a continuity error that bugged me. Um, when Carmen is touring the new Spy Kids around the Spy Kids Museum, as it, as it were, uh, she says that we were the only Spy Kids. Yeah. Now, the hell with you, Giggles. Big... <laughs> yeah, screw you, Giggles. And screw you, whole hall full of Spy Kids at the beginning of Spy Kids 2 with the Magnet Men. Uh, that hurt me. Because, you know, Gary Giggles is a spy dude yeah i i don't know like maybe that's why alexa vega says this movie doesn't count <laughs> continuity wise <laughs> it has some problems um maybe, maybe we should have come up with the same uh same idea there's <laughs> it just doesn't count <laughs> there's a scene i i'm hoping you two can explain to me because i was baffled by it mm -hmm. which is a moment where there's like multiple cereals and there's like multiple cecils eating the cereal why i thought it was just the elapsing of time faster since like time was speeding up for the whole world that he was like at that point multiplied and doing things at the same time. But it's the only time that happened in the whole movie. Yeah. I I, I I think Miles is probably correct in his analysis. I just don't think they ever wanted you to think any further into that. I was completely dumbfounded by that moment where I made notes, underlined them. I'm like, I don't understand what's going on in this movie right now. From 4 no. to 4.15, time moved faster than at any other point in this movie, and he ate And slowed down ever so slightly, so the film could finish. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, guys, before we wrap up, any final thoughts? I think I'm out, but Cam, Miles, what have you got? Um, I had a couple things. I forgot one of the Marvel uh, references, which is Argo Smash, of course. Um, oh, yes. You could really tell that Marvel was in the air. Um, there is the resolution to this necklace, 
that um, that uh, Rebecca is carrying throughout that she's given by you know her stepmom played by Jessica Alba, and they reveal at the end like it just landed in a meteorite out of nowhere. And I was like, wow, that's like the black suit in Spider-Man 3. And people ridiculed that for lazy screenwriting. That's the case here as well. <laughs> well, it's the trans of the film, isn't it? It is. It's, uh, they have to try and explain it somehow. And it's meant to have immense power. So I guess it comes from space. Yeah. Um, but isn't this the same universe as Shark Boy and Lava Girl? I think it is, yeah. I think they did establish that. Yippee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it, huh? <laughs> yep, there you have it. And um, <laughs> I thought the Argo attack mode reminded me of Yoda in Star Wars Episode 2, in which I'm like, mm-hmm. this hasn't aged particularly well. And just lastly, there is a moment early on. You get a newscaster a lot in this movie reporting on everything going yeah. on with time. And like, that's a real clunky device, but whatever. Um, at a certain point when he's talking, there's actually a scrolling bar at the bottom that says Toymaker denies involvement. So we got a shout out to the Stallone character in Spy Kids 3D. Mm. Wow. So it has continuity when it wants it and it doesn't when it doesn't want it. Correct. That's nice. I wonder uh, wonder what the... Uh, I wonder what Floop's up to these days. Well, this movie cut all ties with previous characters, really, except for the Machete cameo and Carmen and Juni. So, I don't know, because that was one thing they... Maybe Pena Vega is right. Maybe. Maybe they... this is non-canon. Well, I wonder if this is like a, re- a reboot that didn't take, so they're just going to dismiss it whenever Spy Kids Netflix edition rolls around. Oh my god, I just realized. Is it going to be Spy Kids and the S is a 5? No, oh I don't god. think so. I, I think they it's a, re- a reboot. I don't think they're going to acknowledge this movie whatsoever. Maybe you get a Jessica Alba appearance further down the road or something, but... My guess is you'll have Carmen and Junie as parents. What if they're married? Gross. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I was done. about to say, not with each other. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> you can have Banderas swing by for like an episode or something, but I would guess it'll be the you know Carmen and Junie are your leads, you know, in terms of the adults in this Netflix movie. If they get them on, I think it adds a little bit of gravitas to it. I mean, n- not the either actor are particularly like winning Oscars, but. Have hey. you seen Green Inferno? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys seem to love Sabara's... Uh... That movie swept the Oscars that year. <laughs> Did it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm not watching a cannibal film. What's wrong with you people? Who wants to see this stuff? Who wants to see this shiitake mushrooms? That is my yes, question. That, the, that ties into my my final thoughts. Is uh, This movie is a pile of shiitake mushrooms. And um, sapphires are blue. Did you guys catch <gasps> that? This is a red sapphire. Oh, oh my god. god! I How did I not get that. Ah, oh, yeah, the like, rubies are a... red. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The it's a sa- what? <laughs> so sapphires are blue. So that was upsetting. As I just <sighs> continue, they're like the sapphire. I'm like not a sapphire every time. <laughs> and. Um, you know you're having trouble reviewing a film when you're like, that sapphire is the wrong color. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my parents were jewelry makers, so I'm just like, Mm-mm, no, 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 no. And um, th- my final thought, the most offensive moment of this entire movie, it, I, I was frustrated looking at the screen. And it was the, the timekeeper's mask that <laughs> like looked like it came from Party City. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, the the rubber clock face. I mean, when we did Spy Kids 3D, I was ridiculing the banners they had all over the place, which looked like they were like some sort of discount special from like Staples. Mm -hmm. Like they looked so cheap. And I think that applies to the mask here where it's like, well, they're really cutting corners with that 27 million or 29 million dollar budget. Right. It looked like the uh, it looked like a character from the Beauty and the Beast, like the clock. That's what I was thinking too. Except yeah. shiny when the light hits it wrong, and it like moved when he leaned forward, like his face <laughs> would come through, like some from Hellraiser or something. Like I, I did not enjoy the mask. It wasn't intimidating. It wasn't well made. It wasn't cool. And those are definitely Jeremy Piven's shoulders. And Rodriguez is known for making movies on the cheap, and sometimes that can be really charming. And sometimes it comes across as bargain basement, and that was more the case here, the latter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I feel like there's a load of jokes I can make about this film, but it just didn't do much for me. Um, and you guys have illuminated it enough with uh, with what we've gone through. So I think I think it's not this time. I think we need to answer the question and potentially put the Spy Kids franchise to bed, at least in a cinematic realm. Gents, is Spy Kids all the time in the world making the knock list? Miles, you're the guest. You're up first. Well, what are the criteria of the knock list? Well, it is the need to see official classics of the Spy Hards canon. So, you know, movies like Three Days of the Condor, Goldfinger, <laughs> you know, North by Northwest. When you're looking at the spy genre, we like to highlight the ones that stand out from the pack. And you would hand people a list and they would watch those and be like, I understand the spy genre and I understand why people love the spy genre. Does that apply to Spy Kids 4D? I would say a resounding yes for the reason <laughs> that if you were seven, this would be the best movie you've ever seen. <laughs> but uh, from an adult's point of view, one out of five. From a kid's point of view, probably a four out of five. So, you know, like uh, a kid would really like it. I thought it was a pile of shit-taki mushrooms. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's a no from Miles. What about you, Cam? Uh, a huge no for me. Uh, I stand by, though, what I said. I think the third one was worse mm -hmm. in that I was actively feeling punished sitting through the, the third one. Like, I was so <laughs> just... The, all those CG sequences were brutal to endure. That's whereas, how I felt like, during this one. I was being punished. Why is this happening to me? Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. I found this one just, like, lazy and often inept but it didn't just grate on me the way 3d did so it's a terrible movie but i've seen worse i guess <laughs> well that's two no's so i guess my vote means absolutely nothing so i'll just speak my mind it's also a no from me i think i've already alluded to it i wasn't a big fan of this film i think one of the things that hurts it for me is the first two and a little bit of the third have a massive a massive nostalgia with me for a simpler time and and so i i tend to look at them at, perhaps with rose tinted glasses this one is a film i had never seen i had no connection to most of the characters and so i was sitting there from more of a critical analysis point of view and just if i had hair i'd pull it out i it was a really rough watch i'm not using a, a dog pun um own it scott own that dog okay. pun <laughs> woof <laughs> Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> what a dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I can't find many redeeming factors in this film. I appreciate that Rodriguez has come back to it. I just wish he had come back with something else. 
It doesn't feel like he had an angle on this one. It felt no, like... No, it feels like he was just pushed into it. Yeah, it feels like, I gotta make a fourth Spy Kids? Okay, I guess I'll just make another Spy Kids movie. That's what it felt like. What haven't I done? Time. Okay. Yeah. But sure. I think we might have to have another conversation, Scott. Okay. About okay. another list. Yeah, another list. Um, Miles, we have another list that we sometimes have to put films on, and that's the disavowed list. This list is the worst spy films ever made, and it features yes, such... Yes, this is on it, yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure it is. Uh... And it has to be a full three yeses. I yeah. think the third one, the third one's on the disavowed list, and it deservedly is. I think it's it's just a horrible watch. I don't think this is particularly hard to watch visually. I don't think he's crafted a bad-looking film. I just think the plot's very lackluster, and there's no imagination behind it, which I think it requires, and I think it stoops to the lowest common denominator with its comedy, but I don't know if it's as bad as Men in Black 2. Um, well... <laughs> It's Men in Black too. I don't know. Like when you got a Tommy Lee Jones performance, I'm like that elevates it above anything in this movie. I think it's tough because like this one is just it's a nothing. It's an absolute nothing. Whereas I think a lot of the movies on the disavowed list were movies that actively enraged us. You know, Spy Kids 3D. Um, uh, taken to one of our dinosaurs is missing one of our dinosaurs is missing although like honestly if you ask me would i rather watch taken two again or spy kids all the time in the world uh i think i'd be leaning towards liam neeson good point it's tough it's tough it's just that this movie yeah. is so flat that it doesn't even jump out like i can guarantee all three of us will have forgotten almost everything that happens in this movie by next week i've watched it twice and i already have forgotten most of it yeah it's ridiculous okay Miles is saying yes to the disavowed list. Cam, you introduced the question, so I assume you're a yes. I think I have to say yes because I think a movie like that's on there, Men in Black International, is at least like, I don't know, giving me a little more. Like, I don't think this movie gives me anything. No. No. I couldn't face watching this again. I've seen enough of Ricky Gervais making poop jokes to last a lifetime. <laughs> Disavow it. Cam, disavow that sucker. Do you legit have a slide whistle for that right now? <laughs> oh my god, I love this show. <laughs> <laughs> the height of comedy genius. That's right, that's right. <laughs> Keeping it classy. Yeah, okay. So, Spy Kids All the Time in the World didn't make the knock list. Three no's, which led to three yeses to it making a disavowed list and it has joined a tortured list of films that I recommend no one ever seeks out. It's interesting that this is on the worst top, is it the bottom 100 IMDb films, Cam? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is this the first one we've ever tackled that's on that list? No, I think Spy Kids 3 is on there as well. Good company. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised Taken 3 isn't on there. Uh, No, none of the Takens are on there. Um... I think Ballistic X versus Sever is on the list, and we'll be tackling that further down the road. There's probably another spy movie on there as well. Well, either way, good riddance. That's the end of our time with the Spy Kids, possibly. Which does introduce something that we didn't do on the Triple X, which is rankings. 
for the movies because we are wrapping up Spy Kids for the foreseeable future, although we'll probably be back with a uh, Spy Kids 5 um, review at some point. God help us all. Uh, See you next time, Miles. (laughs) Yeah, so just franchise rankings. Miles, you know, to the best of your memory, how would you rank these four films? Uh, I feel like I'd rank them in order. One, two, three, four? One, two, three, four, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Scott? I think I'm the same as Miles. I think just a downward. One and two are very close. One and two are very close. But I think one is just slightly more inspired. And I think in the second one, you lose a little bit of that, um, the angst between the brother and sister, uh, which just not, yeah, but then you get Steve Buscemi with that, that strange, bizarre performance. Still quite fun to watch. So, yeah, I think it's one, two, three, four. And I would go one, two, four, three, because I think three is worse. Yeah, I can't really argue with that. To be fair, I probably should have done one, two, four, three as well. But to be fair, they both suck at the end. That's true. Very true. Well, I'm glad it's over. Thank you all for listening to our in-depth coverage of the Spy Kids franchise. We even had someone who worked on the films uh, for an interview. Got some great insights there. This was our first sort of dalliance into kids' films as well. We'll be back in this realm. There are boss babies out there there's cars 2 which is uh, that's a okay film if i remember correctly uh so i'll be interested to see what other kids films hit the podcast down the road yeah spies in disguise there's a couple cody banks mm, yeah that's another one yeah oh boy you're in for a wild ride i'm using lots of cars puns you really are but <laughs> yeah you're mixing your metaphors i really am much like this film but i do want to thank Miles, for joining us today and, and uh, you know, stepping up to the mark to talk about a film that uh, I doubt you would have ever watched in your entire life. I would have had to know it existed if I was going to watch it, but uh, no thank you for bringing that into my life. I don't appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, you've had, you've had two, well, one of the first, uh, Central Intelligence was okay. This was a dud. We're going to have to get you something better next time, I think. Um, if you guys cover The Debt, that's my favorite spy movie. We talked about, like, it was brought up earlier. The Debt is my favorite spy movie. That movie is so freaking good. Okay. Okay. Make a note of that. It's on the list somewhere to cover. Noted. But, you know, you have the Disc Dump podcast. So, you know, what have you got coming up on the show? Oh, the Disc Dump. We, uh, we talk about movies, games, or CDs, like music CDs, in an effort to decide if I'm going to keep the disc or dump it since we live in a digital era. So it's hard to justify like, oh, I'm going to keep owning Spy Kids 3 because it's on Netflix, but Spy Kids 4 isn't, so I should keep that one. You know, that's kind of the the name of the game, except I would never, ever keep this movie. Um, So yeah, check that out. We're doing like, uh, I don't want to play my hand. This is a couple weeks in the future, so Disturbia is coming up. We're going to talk about that movie. We're going to talk about a few other good ones. We did video game month. We had a whole alien franchise month. It, it's been good. I'm over 100 episodes in at this point. Check that out. I'm also a co-host on the High on Horror podcast, which actually it has to go like this. High on Horror. And uh, we, we just uh, talk about horror movies and stuff, and it's a really good time. We were actually in the top, uh, I think, top 75 horror or movie podcast or something like that a couple months ago so that's going pretty well so yeah definitely check out high on horror and the distump podcast please awesome we'll put links to those in the show notes below but if you just search for the names you'll find them wherever you find spy hearts well 
Miles, thank you again. We have also popped onto the Distant Podcast, so you can find a couple of Spy Hards entries there. I believe I've tackled a Linkin Park album. Cam has uh, has tackled some Slipknot, and I believe collectively we covered Goldeneye N64. Yeah, that was a great episode. I enjoy having you guys on a lot. So now that I've been on this one, we're going to pay it forward and have you guys on again. It's going to be awesome. Well, you might have to get Cam off some horror. That is his other specialty. Oh, I didn't know that was your shtick. All right, all right. I have many specialties, but many, so many. Yeah. And like, yeah. also crack a whip like uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman 2. Also Rare. true. Mm, it's, it's, it's very hot. But anyway, <laughs> Miles, thank you for joining us. Cam, my question to you, sir. What are we doing next week? Yeah, real change of pace. I always say that, but it's especially true this time where we are jumping from spy kids all the time in the world to the 1985 spy drama Falcon and the Snowman starring Sean Penn and Timothy Hutton. Probably going to be just as good as this movie. If I had to guess, it's going to be equal quality. I I had no idea about this film, um, but looking into it, it seems a bit crazy actually so i'm kind of looking forward to seeing what this 80s forgotten film has for us i do like delving into the 80s realm the 80s have given us many gifts on spy hearts so uh, your mission should you choose to accept it is to watch falcon and the winter soldier sorry falcon and the snowman and join us next week do not look it up on disney plus it isn't there do not forget to follow us discreetly on social media at SpyHards. That's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, I'm Agent Scott, and I'll catch you later. Exploring the works of John Le Carre, each episode of the Le Carre cast looks at a specific novel or an unexplored aspect of his life and work. Join us as we take a deep dive into the world of espionage John Le Carre has revealed. Search for Le Carre cast wherever you listen to podcasts or at lecarecast.com.